this slice of life ends and we move on to whatever is next for you. And a few hints on uh, how to bring some of what we learned here into whatever is next for you. Um, and I want to continue using the Four Noble Truths as a kind of vehicle uh, to help us uh, work with our experience, to look at our experience um, in the service of self-discovery, learning, and freedom. Uh, before I go into that, one way to look at the journey is that it's a movement from fragmentation to wholeness. Let me give you, fragmentation is where we tend to break everything up into pieces, and sometimes they're hermetically sealed off one from the other. Um, and I'd like to give you a view of how I see the practice, and I think Michael and I have been hammering this home all week. Um, and I hope it's of some help to you. Okay. We don't want one word to be missed. In meditation circles, and I've moved through a lot of them, and let's just the one here, I, I, I don't know, maybe the uh, verbal habits have changed, but it used to be uh, integration talk. This is called the integration talk, where we go back to the real world. And when I first heard that, I found this many, many years ago. I found it jarring, because well, that was a, well, what is this, Disneyland? You know, we're going back to the real world. Well, uh, and sometimes it's referred to as Yogi Land. Let's say when staff, <laughs> seriously, staff, let's say, have a few days off where they can come and just sit. Um, and there'll be a note, I'm in Yogi Land for the next three or four days. And I understand there's a playful quality to it. Uh, <clears throat> but, and also, what comes along with that, even though we all say daily life is very important, everyone says it, and it can be. I'm not saying it is for all of us, but it can be. The biggest cliche in Dharma circles. Uh, because what we really mean is sitting and retreats is the whole thing. Our boss, look at him, he's sitting there. You know. He's not vacuuming. He's not making love. He's just sitting there. He's probably on retreat, his own, somewhere. Of course, he's a statue. <laughs> uh, nothing bothers him. But of course, he also isn't alive. So as precious as the formal practice is, let's call all this formal practice. Uh, and we've given everything we have, and you, you all have too. It's been, we've packed a lot into five days. So, of course, it's of great value, immense value. Otherwise, that's what, personally, that's why we're doing it. Uh, but most of our life will not be lived here or in places like this. And we'll go back to, you know what you go back to. And if our practice is broken up into pieces, then in a certain way, especially if you're drawn to the practice, it's like what you're going back to is kind of a little bit inferior. It's not, in quotes, spiritual. Uh, it's uh, the real world, which kind of means the world which is dirtier and people are mean to each other and they eat meat and they don't eat, <laughs> they don't eat organic food, and, and etc. 
Um, what I like to suggest is a very different model. It has been extraordinarily helpful to me, and I got it from my very first teacher, and that's why when I heard these instructions, they were puzzling to me. Uh, this was a man named Krishnamurti many, many years ago, before I got involved in Buddhism. And uh, it's, a, it, it's something like this. Prior to all these forms, Vipassana, Zen, what, you know, many of you have been different traditions, or, or anything else, whatever your job specialty is, it's just life. This is one slice of life. And if you can view the practice as about living and the purpose of life, sometimes people, philosophers argue, what is the purpose of life? Well, you know, there are any number of opinions, but clearly one obvious uh, purpose is to live. Okay, how? How to live? And that's a, an ongoing question that keeps uh, coming up. And it changes how to live at a certain age, at a certain time, maybe uh, appropriate and wise, and then things change. And if you're still dancing to a certain music and it's not playing anymore, you won't enjoy the dancing and it'll be suffering. So if you could understand that we really mean it when we say that uh, practice and life, uh, although they don't seem to be the same, you especially those of you who are new, it's, you're learning these techniques. And so the techniques are new, and you're learning how to do them, and there's self-consciousness, and uh, you're trying to get it right and understand what it is. And so, of course, there's a separation. And you came here because, in a way, we've had enough of what is called life, and we came to this special place to heal up. It's like a hospital in a certain sense. I used that image, and a few people didn't like that. Okay, it's just an image. Um, it's not a hospital. Okay. <laughs> okay. But it's not a health spa either. Uh, this is a place which is organized to help us get to know ourselves. It's not something that we humans seem to want to do, or uh, we value it. Every university I've known values know thyself. Every, Socrates, you know, every, there's always a building, know thyself, be mindful. And there isn't a long line of people queuing up to do it. Because it's hard. It's, perhaps what we're most afraid of is what's inside of ourselves or how we live. And so we have endless ways of skirting that issue. And when you come here, in a sense, we're cutting off a lot of the escape hatches. Of course, you're also brilliant, and so you have ways of circumventing it, but not too many. And, and we've uh, simplified life so that it's, it's at least contributing to helping you take a look at yourself and begin to understand yourself a bit better. The Four Noble Truths is one guide to living. It's kind of a, a way of looking at your experience. If you see it as one slice of life, then every place is an opportunity to wise up. Because wherever you're alive, you can do things that don't work, that cause suffering, that seem insufficient or are harmful, and also where it seems to be a wonderful way to live. And so if learning and awareness start to become more natural, then uh, when you're here, there are certain things that are easier to learn because that's why we, part of why we come here. For example, to help the mind become calm and steady, the, the conditions here are organized to help us do that. The silence, you have very few responsibilities. You have a yogi job. Your main responsibility is to be with yourself. Maybe that's the biggest one for all of us. Okay. When we go home, uh, awareness and the interest in learning, they're just as valid. They're just as necessary. 
Only now the situation is different. The conditions are not there to help you develop certain things. And th there isn't a group of people, all of whom are moving in the same direction, us. We had a, a little community here called Sangha sometimes. And it, even though we're alone, we're together. Maybe you get discouraged, you look around, and people are still sitting. Uh, and then you get uh, another burst of, uh, of energy, and you keep at it. When we get home, you may, probably won't, you may not have that. Okay, so if your attitude is to understand that uh, life and practice uh, more and more can become the same thing, everything is an opportunity to learn. In this sense, the world exists to help us get free. So whatever, or other Dharma phrases that might help you is, a bad situation is a good situation. What? Dharma is backwards. We do everything a little bit different, differently than the way it's done. When we all prefer good situations, but if it turns out to be, in quotes, a bad situation, we turn it around and use it as an opportunity to learn about ourselves because when we're caught in some way, that means a lot of energy is trapped. And as you take a look at it, rather than either get, getting lost in it or fighting it or denying it, that energy is released and then it's available to you. This is psychic energy. And of course, it's physical too. And then that energy can be used uh, to, to, to live. Um, okay, you already know about uh, the handout really touches a lot of it. And the reason I gave that handout, does everyone, you know there was a handout on uh, some hints to taking the practice home. Definitely get a, a, a sitting practice going, uh, a, a regular sitting practice. Tremendously helpful. Um, <clears throat> sitting quietly with yourself a bit each day is not a luxury. At first we might think it is. Uh, it always, it's never been a luxury. Human beings have, have, have some, not obviously the whole human race has not, but there have always been human beings who understood that some time to just be with yourself with no other purpose than being awake and to seeing what's there and then to move, get on with your life, which includes people, work, family, and so forth. Um, that's always existed. I think life has become extraordinarily complex now and busy and fast. And if it ever was a luxury, which I don't think it was, at least for those interested in it, I don't it certainly isn't now. Just to be able to set aside a few minutes, that's a good way to start off the day, just to simply be with yourself and just to see what's there. The breathing is just life. We're already breathing. We already have the capacity to be aware. We have a body. Thoughts are coming and going. Moods come and go. Sound Trucks go by, birds chirp, it's a certain temperature. It's all, all we have, just pay attention. And without any trying to get some special experience or make yourself be some, some way, and then uh, it's a nice way to begin a day and then from there enter into whatever your day is like. Um, <clears throat> in the uh, Four Noble Truths, it's conveniently, uh, it can be divided up into three uh, uh, kind of uh, families of, of uh, approach. It's called sila, samadhi, and panya. Sila is ethical refinement. I haven't dealt with that. We will right now. Um, <clears throat> samadhi um, has to do with the meditative component, which we've been talking about a lot, uh, which has to do with developing effort, right effort, 
uh, skillful effort, effort that's in the service of uh, strengthening those qualities that are beneficial if you already have them, strengthen them, and developing new qualities of, of living uh, that are beneficial if you don't have them. Uh, if you have qualities that are destructive, uh, beginning to unlearn them and not pick up any new destructive qualities. So uh, that's part of it. And the effort is in the service of paying attention with the intention, right intention, uh, to learn and to grow and to get free. So it's a different motivational structure and it's independent of what you do. Because no matter what your job is or you're retired or whatever it is, uh, life rolls on and, there, and we keep having reactions and we keep behaving a certain way. Those are the materials that we practice with. We don't need anything special. In Vipassana practice, we look at our life as it is and you don't need any materials outside of that. It's, it's more than enough. It's very rich. But we need the tools. We need a mind that's uh, steadier and clearer and those of you who are new are beginning to develop that. It takes a while, like any art, any skill, it takes a while. So uh, effort, there's concentration. You've been uh, developing a mind that is more and more steady. We, everything we've been doing, in a way, develops concentration. Certainly the first few days we're emphasizing that. Mindfulness, remembering to turn to the present moment. If, it, if you've set for yourself the breath, remembering to turn to the breath. And then um, the, the two, right understanding and right uh, intention or aspiration. Uh, the, uh, the, those, that's the wisdom, the panya segment. So we have an ethical segment, which I'll get to in a moment. We have a samadhi or a, a meditative segment. And then out of that comes the understanding that sets us free. We've been talking a lot about right aspiration. Aspiration, there isn't an English word that captures it. It's not greed. It's not me trying to uh, become a better something or other. It doesn't have that greedy energy, that grasping. It's a, a, sinc a sincere yearning to wise up, to learn how to uh, understand yourself and to let go of what needs to be let go of and to allow what is beneficial, the living, the flower. And I think so much of what's been said, the instructions and the group discussions, and that's what the, where the encouragement has been. Now, to begin with, in the Eightfold Path, and there are books in, in the book, whatever, Welcoming Room, uh, that talk about the Eightfold Path in a more uh, organized, systematic way. I mean, it really all goes together. As I, I mentioned, it's like a cable or, or a strong rope. We're all eight are intertwined. It's sometimes taught stepwise, first ethical and you move to concentration and then to wisdom. A right understanding has to do with understanding the Four Noble Truths. To begin with, it's as a, as a set of ideas. It's conceptual. Um, but it's also the end of practice. In other words, the ideas in, uh, are, orient us and then when we practice, the whole point of the practice is to realize, to begin to see First, uh, if you recall, first and second noble truth, craving, attachment, suffering. Um, to see that as an experience in your life, not first you read it in a book or someone tells you about it, and then more and more as you actually see it and learn it. The learning here has tremendous de a tremendous degree of variation in terms of depth. 
to begin with, the learning, uh, and this is wisdom in general, uh, is conceptual. It's helpful. Wise ideas. A lot of what philosophy is. Wise ideas. Okay. In this, the wise ideas are essential for noble truths. It's one way to look at life. It's not the only way. It's a way. Okay. Then, but here, we, we can't just settle for memorizing them, reading every commentary on it, spouting off and on with all these beautiful words which make you feel happy and impress your friends. But you'll be the same jerk. You'll get, in fact, you'll get invited to fewer parties <laughs> because you'll become completely oppressive. At any rate, it's to realize it so that the understanding, as you pay attention and live your life and learn from what happens to you in life, the understanding becomes bone deep. Does that get through to you? That, again, is from cowboy wisdom. Robert Duval in something open prairie or free range. You know, all the titles sound the same to me now. At any rate, he admits that he's had some suffering in life. And he said, oh, yeah, I've been suffering. I know what suffering is, bone deep. Can you get the, it's good, it's a good phrase. It's a different kind of understanding. It's not just up here, it, it's a you. And so the living and the, and, the, and, the, and the wisdom are the same thing. You're living the wisdom, you are the wisdom. And that has the potential for deepening and deepening as we live and learn through paying attention. But you have to want that if there's no interest. Interest is the best samadhi. If you really get interested in how you live your life, it can become quite joyful and challenging, the whole process, even when things don't go our way. Okay. Um, the ethical, the, the uh, sila, which is, it can be translated ethical refinement. And that is right action, right speech, right livelihood. Now, to back up a bit, if you recall, I would suggest, if you can remember this, first noble truth, there's a, uh, the, uh, the uh, effect is, an, is the, an, an unskillful effect, suffering, caused by an unskillful uh, cause, second noble truth, craving and attachment, which is really me. Because when you, when you are suffering, take a look, you'll see it's the sense of me who's suffering. That's, that wants something and it's not getting it or wants to be rid of something and it won't go away. And so it's cause and effect, if you recall. Uh, certain causes produce certain effects. That's also right understanding. Understanding the Four Noble Truths is also understanding that the, the cause and effect exist in life. I think it's part of why a lot of educated, scientifically minded, modern people are drawn to Buddha Dharma is because it appeals to our intelligence. It's saying, look, you can examine that you're suffering in this given moment, and if you pay attention, you can investigate, what Michael was getting at last night, and if you're open, you can start to see you yourself are the teacher and the student. You become a disciple of your own understanding, and you can begin to unlearn what needs to be unlearned. And that makes room for qualities that are beneficial. So the, remember, the third noble truth is cessation. It can be temporary in a given moment when you stop grasping and pushing away. And there's a moment, maybe it's three seconds or two minutes. It's a feeling of real peace and, and freedom. And it's not problematic, and we love it. And the fourth noble truth 
is a skillful cause for the skillful effect, and that's the path. Okay, so I would suggest in the amount of time we have and to get right at the, the essence of it, right action, right speech, right livelihood um, is mainly about living your life through, uh, through speech and action, whether in work, uh, in relationship, how you speak, how you listen, in ways that don't cause suffering. In other words, we're learning how to, uh, how to w work and live and to be with people in ways that are wiser, kinder. And not as an ideal, as an ideology, but th that helps. But probably everyone here would like to be a good person. But there are plenty of good people on the planet, and they're not necessarily free. This is about becoming a free person. And of course, goodness is real goodness and freedom can't be separated. But there are a lot of people who are good and suffering a lot, probably many of us. So how to free ourselves in the process of doing what is beneficial for us and for, for others, which makes the planet a different place, our small piece of the planet. Um, so, for example, if at work, uh, in the Buddhist scheme, certain occupations are off-limits, a sort of uh, uh, killing, jobs that have to do with killing. Well, there'd be a lot, much more unemployment in the United States, so you couldn't take uh, work which had to do with armaments. Everyone wants peace, and a huge amount of time, effort, brain power, and money is going into getting bigger and better ways to kill each other. We better make up our mind, because it's a bit contradictory. We'd have to quit our jobs. I don't know, some of you may be in a, and I'm not here as a moralist. Not, I don't want to preach to you. And there'll be no, you know, I'm not going around like this. It's not a sermon. But this is how the Buddha put it. So each one of you, it's, it's your job to reflect on how you work, what you're doing, and how you're doing it. Uh, I, I wouldn't dream of telling you what you should do. Because that's for you to determine. It's, it's for you to live out your life. Awareness and the intention to learn and a few of these guidelines can help you do that. But finally, you have to decide how you're going to live. Socrates, how is one to live? The big question. Very important question. Uh, if you pay attention and take that on as a question worthy of your uh, interest, then, of course, that's helpful. If you don't, you're going to be pushed around by your conditioning and by situations and then wonder why things aren't the way you want them to be. So it's called waking up. Okay, relationship. I'm going to spend a few moments on that um, because that is the hard one, isn't it? Personal relationship. That's where we, as a race, the human race, uh, we have gotten an, probably an F+. Plus. <laughs> we are fantastic in so many ways, brilliant. And if you just thousands of years, it's like we've learned nothing. Year, generation after generation, we study history in order to not repeat our mistakes. I would say, I used to say that. Now I know I study history to see that we never learn from our mistakes. Generation after generation after generation. Okay, I'm not, this is not messianic for the whole planet. At least, if you take care of yourself, I'm going to take care of myself. How are, you, how are we living? And relationship is a central part of life. People. 
that's a lot of why people become monks and nuns. They realize it's hopeless out there, you know. <laughs> Marriage, children, sex, money, fame, profit. Get me out of here, off to the forest, get me to a cave. Anything is better than this. One of my teachers, Ajahn Buddhadasa in Thailand, forest tradition, uh, they were mainly monks, and I was in this gathering, and uh, he, in his, a lot of the jokes are sort of disparaging towards lay life, but they're functional, they're necessary when you're talking to monks, many of whom are young men who still have a lot of that, you know, that energy, and it's, so it's functional for them to hear, you're not missing a thing out there, you know, it's just those people are nuts out there. And it's good that you're celibate, have one meal a day, have no money, no outfits, no TV, nothing, because it's all just a mess. Thank, ha, ha, ha. And I remember one line he said, it was like, despite all the suffering in marriage, people out there, they just jump up and volunteer for the job. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> That's kind of true, isn't it? Maybe they're right. Let's all become monks and nuns. Mass, mass conversion will be in, on TV. Michael and I'll be on 60 Minutes. <laughs> okay. The fact is that this is our life, and the planet is exactly this way. So the challenge is, I don't see too many signs of change, you know, a little here, a little there. So we have to change. And the practice is designed to help each one of us take our life into our own hands, learn how to stand on our own feet, to meet life directly, whatever your, your life is, and as we move from one situation to the next, give ourselves over to it wholeheartedly. What's correct action in this situation? What's correct action in one situation isn't in another. When it's time to sit, like when you come to a retreat, silence, etc. everything we've been doing, that's correct action, so please do it. You've been doing it, 100%. When you go home, it's talking and listening and laughing and eating and washing the dishes and shopping. Uh, the Chinese had a very lovely way of putting it, that is, uh, in the Chan tradition, which became Zen in Japan. Um, if you're wholeheartedly, undivided, intimate with what you're doing, they call that giving life to life. It just, can you hear what they, and if you're divided, you're doing one thing, but you're, half of you is somewhere else, they call that killing life. Now, you don't go to prison for that. It's just you've killed the quality of life. And so, uh, more and more, the challenge is take it one situation uh, after another. What's correct action here? If it's driving, drive. The car, when you finish driving, whatever is next, uh, it's a nice guide. It's simple. What's correct action here? But pay attention, because it's not simply if the dishes can be spotless and you've hardly been there. Your mind has been on, then we'll go to this movie, then we'll go to the cafe after that. But I'm not sure, because the last time we went there, I didn't like the, the donut. I don't, we won't go. And meanwhile, the dishes are done, they're, they're sparkling, and you weren't there. So it's not about the dishes in a way. It's both the dishes, but it's the quality of life we're talking about. And relationship pushes buttons like nothing else. Have you noticed? Uh, personally, when I did lots of long retreats, and many people who have done long retreats, I think, would agree with me, and I felt I was cleaned out, just a, just a hair away from sainthood. <laughs> and all it took was to be back in Harvard Square for about a half an hour. And, uh, yeah, just someone cutting in line ahead of you, or you're uh, waiting on line, and just at the last minute they pull out, I think I'll pay by check, is that all right? You know, like, oh, for God's sake. And you see, 
you thought it was Gandhi inside, it turns out it was Adolf Hitler or Stalin or someone like uh, and then it, so relate now if we turn it around, the bad situation is a good situation. Uh, whatever your partner, husband, wife, child, boss, friend, uh, when they get on our nerves, when they don't behave the way they should, according to us, um, that's an opportunity. It's a mirror. Relationship is a mirror. It's teaching us about ourselves. More and more you can, but you have to take it on as a practice. Pay attention to people if you're with them, when you're with them. But don't lose touch with your inner life at the same time. You can learn how to do it. So that, for example, right now I'm looking at you, I'm paying attention, and I haven't lost touch with myself or the time. But I, that's because I remember Michael will give the scolding if I go on too much longer. And he's right. <laughs> okay. Okay. So from this point of view, uh, also start noticing how we have conclusions about people, images of them. Especially, let's say you've been married for many years or have a partner for a long time, an old friend. The mind forms conclusions about them. Oh, yeah, there's old Larry. Of course, he's going to start with his jokes and when I grew up in Brooklyn and all that. And in a, in, a certain mo in a certain given moment, we don't realize there's a filter between us and the person. And, it, and we know who they are and we, we might even like them and even like what they're saying and doing. But there's, it, doesn't, it lacks that intimate quality of how they are in that given moment. There's certain subtleties that we're not in touch with because we have an image, a conclusion between us and them. As you start seeing that, the same old person becomes fresh. You're flossing for the two millionth time. Uh, that can become automatic pilot very easily. Uh, so what are you supposed to do? Stop flossing and then your teeth get rotten and then you have huge dental bills? Of course not. But you can do the same thing over and over. It's not the repetition. It's if you're awake while you're doing it, it's a different experience. So the teeth get cleaned and your mind gets a little cleaned too. So everything is an opportunity to learn. I thought Michael's example of that film, what was the name of it, Michael? Sorry. Avatar, Avatar was entertaining, but also you can learn from anything. And, and literally, I'll give you two examples and then we'll have some Q&A. Um, see, I'm thinking if I should leave that one out. Or... <laughs> okay. When 9-11 when happened, many people were just obsessed with watching CNN or whatever your favorite news, day after day after day, and would come to practice groups at, at Cambridge Insight Meditation, talking about how I just sit for hours watching the same reruns of the planes crashing into the buildings and people screaming and uh, over and over again and watching the latest developments and the firemen coming alive. And it was becoming suffering. So it, it, even this can become Dharma practice. It's similar to what Michael was saying. If you, if you remember the talk last night, if you pay attention, the film is going on, but you're having reactions. And so CNN can actually be a very good Dharma teacher because they were watching what it was bringing up in them. And it changes if you pay attention. If you pay attention, it changes. And you can then, it becomes a little easier if you've, if you've learned all that you need to learn to just get up and walk away. It's not as an act of will. I shouldn't be watching. I've been there for four hours already. Um, so learning can come up anywhere. Let me give you a... a 
because the example that Michael gave last night refreshed my memory of an old one that was very, a lot of fun and also instructive. Um, there was one of the first Vipassana teachers to come here from India, was many of our, was my first Vipassana teacher, was a, name, a man by the name of Manindraji. And uh, I had the good fortune of taking him to his first movie. He had never been to a film. Okay. He was a great Vipassana teacher and a wonderful human being. Uh, and so we went to this movie, and I was very interested in how, you know, he is an adult, very intelligent, very aware. And we walked out, and I said, how was it, Manindraji? And he went, um, what's all the fuss? Why do people get all excited? He said, well, what did you see? He said, well, there's a, a dark room, and people are sitting in it. Light is shining on the screen, and there are images flashing there. Uh, what's all the fuss? <laughs> and I said, oh, you've been practicing Vipassana too long. <laughs> okay, the story doesn't end there. About a month or two later, we went to another film. I remember the film, A Bridge Too Far. It's a World War II film. And the British and the American soldiers are fighting the Germans, and the people are dying left and right and getting blown up and machine gun, hand grenades, fire, you know, just going on and on. We walk out of the movies, and Manindraji has this very sad look on his face. And I said, Manindraji, what's, what's wrong? He says, Oh, those poor people. <laughs> you know, I said, Manindra, you've attained movie mind. <laughs> so delusion enables us to have some fun. Uh, okay, we'll leave it at that. Any, anything on your mind that we can talk over together? Please. Yeah. Does it for you? Fine. But remember, uh, in a certain way, it's a word. And that word has been associated with something very positive for you, let's say. Let me come at it a different way. Uh, the teachings of the Buddha are known as non-theistic. Not atheistic, non-theistic. It's not, it's not saying there is a God or there isn't. Okay. Now, as you, as you start to get to know yourself, um, there was a very great uh, Japanese uh, meditation master named Dogen, and he said to study Buddha Dharma is to study the self. Another translation is to learn about Buddha Dharma is to learn about the self. To study or learn about the self is to forget the self. What? See, as you start l studying all the things, you know, your fears, your angers, your loneliness, your discouragement, your hopes, your joys, that starts to fall away. And then the last, the, the line finally, I said, so it's to, to, to study the Buddha Dharma is to study yourself. To study yourself is to forget yourself. To forget yourself is to be awakened by all things. In other words, when you stop being preoccupied with this little world, little enclosure that the thinking mind has made, which we think is us, there's a, a vast reality that opens up. It's infinite. Now, if you want to call that and... It's not just a philosophic abstraction. It's real. It's silent. It, it, once we, I open my mouth and try to put it in words, I kill it. But if you want to call it divine, if you want to call it God, but in terms of what people are killing each other over words, you know, and different, every religion has a different description of your destination. You'll be on the right hand of God. You, know, you won't be. You go to hell. There is no hell. You know, it just goes on and on. So... There's no need to take that away from you, but if you're going to do this practice, the emphasis is going to be on getting to know yourself as you are. 
And then when you open up to that, I, you know, it's sometimes called the inconceivable. That's not bad. Because any name you give to it, including divine and God, if those words are good words for you, why would I want to take them away from you? But the main thing is not the words, it's the quality of your life that comes out of this practice. Yeah. Please. You're going to have to speak what? Speak up, though. What? A word. If you see it with a small d, it means phenomena. If you see it with a big d, it can mean the teachings of the Buddha, the Buddha's dharma. It's a general term, so different teachers would have different dharmas. Okay. But one of its most general meanings is uh, natural truth. In other words, the way things are. It's kind of the, the, way, the lawfulness of... Uh, of the universe, natural truth, but in the Buddha's teaching, the mind is considered part of nature. In other words, there's a lawfulness that, uh, if we take impermanence, the law of impermanence, that affects us as much as it does mountains and rivers and oceans and the sky. So um, th- that's one way to get at it. It's what's what you do in your mind. In other words, if you need it, look, um, one time at Cambridge Insight Meditation Center, we give talks on Wednesday evenings, and there are a lot of people who come sometimes. And at the end of it, somebody asked me, are you a Buddhist? And this was reported back to me. I got quiet for about five minutes. No, I said. You know, half the group got depressed. <laughs> Because they want me to be a Buddhist so they can become a Buddhist and they can feel like a Buddhist and feel good about themselves. The other half of the group, thank God, we don't have to get into that religion stuff. Uh, because they had just broken from Judaism, Catholicism, Christianity, you know, all, um, and they were just happy to just learn about something that, that took them somewhere. But then um, when I went, but I went further with it. I said, for me, this is just me. Um, and I don't try to make anyone be like me, certainly not regarding this. For me, it is not a, it's not an affiliation, and it's not a personal identity. Uh, it's a guide to living. Now, I've studied the Buddhist teachings. I've been studied with many teachers who have kept this teaching alive. I've done my best to practice it and to share it w- with people. If you say, well, that makes you a Buddhist, fine. But I don't walk, in, walk around thinking of myself as a Buddhist, but some people do, and it really is helpful. It gives a person a sense of belonging. But finally, when you see any identity, the Buddha says the last attachments to go are views and opinions, like an identity of who you are. It doesn't mean you can't be a a Buddhist, but you understand that there's something even deeper than that. There's something deeper than being a Christian, than being a Muslim, than being whatever, because there's something that's the source. And then we humans make up all kinds of stories about everything. We kill each other over it. This is going to that place where, our, where it's the same, we're drinking from the same water. If we can only get that and allow people to express that differently, it might be a different world, but we don't. Do you see the, the difference? So whatever is okay with you is fine with me. Yeah. Or as my Korean teacher put it, you like, I like. It translated into everyday language now. It's whatever. 
It goes along with love you. Okay. <laughs> Please. That's greedy. It doesn't have to be quick. Because... Are you grateful? Yes. For what? Yeah, you're and you're great. So isn't that it's wonderful? Yeah. Yeah. But look, you know, let, let me in terms of the uh, of let's say the four noble truths. Um, when you see the outcomes of of wise action. That gives you a certain inspiration. You realize this stuff really works, and you see the quality of your life. Some of you have been at this for a while, and some of you really deserve a medal uh, because you had a number of hard years, and, you, and you're still here. And then it starts to flower uh, because it, 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 everyone's journey is, is very, very different. When you start to see actual ways in which the practice is helping you live, there's, you know, there's joy and there's a gratitude. Yeah, go ahead. Yes. Ah, oh, good one. Right. Yeah, but then you're no longer investigating. Then the mind has taken over. Yeah. Yeah, sure. First of all, investigation, to begin with, I would say that uh, sometimes investigation does have some thought in it when we begin. For example, let's say using the Four Noble Truths, you find that you've, you've, you, you leave a situation and, and it hurts and you're suffering. And then you kind of, it's like pulling over to the side of the road and thinking, hmm, what happened there? It's after the fact. And you kind of, it's a kind of inquiry. I see. The reason I suffered is because I wanted that person to say this, and they said that instead of this, and and I couldn't uh, and I couldn't forget, etc. And so the event is over, the tra- so, but there's a piece of learning that happens. You saw that. You see what I'm getting at? That's a, a kind of inquiry. But more and more, and this is, I think, a lot of what Michael was getting at last night, is that real investigation has no thought in it. It's, uh, it's a, a silent, careful attention to what is, to what's going on. And there's a direct learning, real insight, grows out of that seeing. Now, to begin with, uh, if you're very, very new, it would be not impossible, but rather unlikely that the mind has that as a stable quality that you can count on a lot. But as the practice unfolds, you do thinking less and less. There's less thinking and there's more seeing. And there's still, a, you see, one you could call reflective insight. It's a skillful use of thought. But, be, but it doesn't have the transformative power of clear seeing. Now, when the mind spins off like that, you're, you're not doing either, probably. But then you see, then you reflect it on it, and that's how you can make a question and share it. So that was a bit of investigation. Yeah. Please.
most people can't. Okay. I understand. It's not what we said. It's that uh, if I can, I, I think I understand what you're getting at, it, and it, it faces a lot, most, perhaps all of us. Um, even if you have a community, let's say in Cambridge, it's, there's a, we've been around for 25 years. There's a strong group of people who support each other. Okay, but they don't. You go home. They don't come in and stay home with you, and they don't follow you. You know, let's say you have to go to a you know a bar mitzvah or a christening, and they say, "Would you please come with me?" You know, like okay, uh, uh, you invite four hundred more people to come and do. So, you have to develop the ability to stand to take care of yourself, and uh, each situation is different. Starts first of all when you can come to situations like this, because sure, that's why this exists. Because we're human, we do need help, and there is help. You're not alone. But a lot of life is lived alone and together, and also temperament varies. Some people have a very contemplative nature. They're more likely to really enjoy being alone. Sometimes they need help to be with people. Some people can't meditate unless they have a crowd. Well, they need help sitting alone, because life, life is both alone and together. So. I think I mentioned this to you. Check with the office to find out there may be some people who are practicing uh, in Connecticut. And if so, see if you can arrange to... Sometimes people meet two or three people once a week and they uh, share their practice or they'll listen to a tape together or something of that sort. But um, if you... you uh, having a community or also in terms of a, a teacher, that's no magic either. Uh, and some of that... It, it happens if it's, you know, you can learn from life. In the meantime, if you don't have a teacher, then that doesn't mean the practice stops. There are different strengths that you can develop, like standing on your own two feet, seeing how you feel lonely, seeing how you feel helpless, and investigating there, taking a look at that. And if you keep coming around, you may meet someone who uh, there's a resonance, and quite naturally it feels like it's good to work together. But you can't make it happen. I, at least I couldn't. Yes. So, I, I, one part I, well, a lot of parts I don't get, but one thing I'm not understanding is if I look, if I get what I feel as kind of feeling anxious or I'm afraid of something or um, irritated or whatever, I'm saying if, if you look and you see something in yourself like fear or anxiety, I'm not understanding then how you can fix it. By, yeah. Yes. What does fix it? What does fix it mean to you? Uh huh. <laughs> Next. <laughs> We're learning how to how to. Uh, it's it, it, both of you. In other words, the anxiety. It's sort of think of you taking care of yourself. First of all, at a certain point, if you keep doing this, if you don't, you'll never find out if what I'm saying is true. Aware, let's say mindfulness, you hear that word a lot, right? You've certainly heard it. It's not just a word, it's seeing energy. It's a very, very subtle energy. The more you use mindfulness, the more subtle it becomes. The more subtle it becomes, the more powerful it is. And as I mentioned in one group at least, it can become like a flame. 
And so let's say you feel anxiety. Of course you want to get rid of it. No one, most people, we don't want to feel anxious, frightened, lonely, etc. But you've been trying to get rid of it all your life. That is, that is not what we're do about here. What we're trying to do is, because that hasn't worked. If it worked, why would you even come here? It doesn't work. Okay, so to simplify it, typically most of us, either we drown in the anxiety, just lost in it, we all, probably everyone knows that one, or sometimes we deny it, we fight it, we uh, escape from it, etc. This is neither. It's neither grasping or pushing away. It's becoming aware of it. You said it. But you see, in your question, what is implied there is that just you just look at it. Uh, how do you fix it? You, don't, uh, you haven't experienced the power of seeing yet. Now, if you now hear that, and then you go home, he's right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see right into that anxiety. <laughs> you know, sort of like, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Gotcha. It's not a video game. <laughs> okay. uh, in fact, if you try to fix it, uh, you're just going to make it worse. Do you know the game Monopoly? Go directly to jail, do not pass go. Okay. Uh, so uh, the awareness is non-judgmental. It's not using anything as a means to an end. You're not trying to get rid of it. You're trying to, get to, to allow it to become intimate with it, to enter into communion with it, uh, to allow it to flower. But to be right there with it, with awareness. Now, I'm just going to put this into words. If you try it, I hope you find that what I'm saying bears some resemblance to the truth. The awareness, at a certain point, allows the anxiety to expend itself. It's energy. So seeing is energy. It touches anxiety, which is energy, not the word. Okay? And not the whole story. He said, she said, and my mommy dropped me on my head. And, you, know, it's not, it's <laughs> the, you know, it's just what's there. You know? And the seeing energy touches the anxiety energy, and it's extraordinary. Something happens. It's sort of, uh, it's in science. The observer affects the, uh, what, it, what you observe. Okay, and so mindfulness has a very beneficial effect in life. But if you're trying to use mindfulness to get rid of it, that's not mindfulness. Mindfulness is mirror-like. It's non-judgmental. It's non-reactive. It's not interpreting. It's not translating. It's not explaining. It's not analyzing. These are all things that we've all had a fair amount of practice doing. It's not chronic introspection. We all know how to do that. It's just simply seeing, allowing it in. It's not detachment. It's opening up to, fully receiving it as it is, and let it do what it can do. Now, you're new to the practice. You know, I remember. Okay, and maybe your awareness is not up to every moment when, when the anxiety may be so powerful, it's like a tidal wave, and little, little tiny mindfulness looks at it and is swept away. Then do more work with breath, or there are other practices like metta, and uh, to more and more, every, every moment of mindfulness, often on the cushion, is changing the quality of mind that you have available to use in, your, in, in living. But the day will come if you do this, and it doesn't come if you don't do it, where the quality of the seeing becomes steady, strong, and it can become even unwavering. If you don't like the image of a fire, throw it out. And so it's, it's steadier than what comes in front of it. So anxiety comes in. You fully feel it. And it tells its story, not in words. And then it's as if the energy starts to leave it. And energy that's held captive in that attachment is now released. And now it's available to you. Before, it's been... Uh, it's a weight. It even feels like sometimes dropping it. 
release, uh, extinguish, it feels like you're, whoa, I've been carrying something. Now, finally, it's all about self. I'm going to end here because it's 10.30. When I was in Japan, there was a, a Zen magazine, and I had to have this translated because it's in Japanese. And it has, you'll f this is the root of the whole, the whole Four Noble Truths are about this cartoon. Okay. So it has this Zen monk, and he's walking on the beach uh, barefoot. And he's carrying this huge sack on his back. He's bent over. And his footsteps are like trenches in the beach. And he's walking, and he's carrying this sack on the back. And what the sack says is me. <laughs> so uh, what you're getting free of is yourself. So stop it. <laughs> uh, postscript. Many years ago, Jack Kornfield, who many of you know, or if you've read his books, he, he told this, uh, he told it to me. Uh, he, uh, Trungpa Rinpoche was a Tibetan Lama who uh, was very uh, um, prominent at the time. He's, he's dead now. Um, by the way, I say dead, not passed away, because he's he dead. Passed away sounds like, well, he just went on a holiday somewhere. You know, <laughs> He's at a resort in the Bahamas. He just passed, the, he's dead, OK. <laughs> so, um, they have, have you ever seen people who have gone to Tibetan scenes often they have like an orange cord string? You, have, you will. If you stay in this scene, you'll see a lot of, in Yiddish it's called tchotchkes, you know, sort of like <laughs> Jim, you know, little things that's a blessings. Okay. So it's an orange string somewhere around the neck with this one. He was, so Trungpa Rinpoche was giving everyone who was in, at this retreat at the end of it a string. Probably we'd, you'd like us more if we could give you one, but at any rate, so it's called a protective cord. So Jack says, Trumpa, what is it protecting us from? It was an honest question. This was easily 30 years ago, more. And Trumpa looked at me and said, protecting yourself from? From yourself, of course. So you're learning how to take better care of yourself. Can we have a few moments of silence? May we all continue to look into ourselves. May we see things exactly as they are. And may such clear, direct seeing free us. Thank you. Thanks for some of you I know is, you deserve medals, some of you new, new folks. Uh, have a good life. <laughs> or if it's a rotten one, at least make it a mindful rotten one. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.